the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now at eight minutes past ten o'clock on a Tuesday, the first morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2022. It's Fat Tuesday. Enjoy yourself and get ready for uh, the great purge <laughs> uh, that is uh, that is Lent starting tomorrow on Ash Wednesday. For those who are Catholic and uh, and following such things, you don't have to be a Catholic to get a great punchki, by the way, from Gibson's uh, Bakery in downtown Oberlin, and I highly recommend that you do that on Fat Tuesday. It's just... Uh, it's a good thing to do. You'll feel better about yourself. And of course, you step on the scale, and then you're going to say, eh, was it worth it? Yeah, the answer is still yes. All right. Uh, we got a lot of work to do in this hour, so we're going to dive right in now with our regular Tuesday guest back on the schedule this week when he's supposed to be here. And that, of course, is our great friend Peter Kirstenau, the longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is also a best-selling author, a columnist, a lawyer in Cleveland, and uh, also um, a sometimes law professor. And uh, those skills might come in handy with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Peter Kirstenau, good morning, my friend. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, Bob. You know, kind of, uh, you know, it's weird. You you mentioned Lent coming up in the last two years. It seems like it's been Lent for the last two years. (laughs) I can't wait till we get out of this. You know, know, that's true. That's a really great, I never looked at it that way, but it's true. We've all had to sacrifice so many things, but not for 40 days, but for about 750 of them-ish. That's well said. Okay, Peter, Chris, now there's a lot of things I want to get into, um, and I'm going to go out of order. I, um, as you and I know, you know, we, we, we chatted, uh, before the show to make sure we were square on what we wanted to discuss, and I, I kind of teased the Russia-Ukraine situation first. The last thing that we put on our table was the, uh, nomination, uh, for the Supreme Court made by Joe Biden, keeping true to his, uh, uh, to his promise. He, he nominated a black female for the Supreme Court, and as somebody, uh, who has testified before how many Supreme Court, uh, in how many Supreme Court uh, uh, nominations? Five. five. Five, at least, yeah. Your, yeah. your point of view here is going to be very, very important. So, and uh, what can you tell me about Kentaji? Uh, is it Kentaji or Katanji? It's Kentaji. I actually appeared before her once uh, a few did years you? back. When, yeah, I did. And um, I appeared before Mayor Garland, too. And don't uh, you have to take my opinions with a grain of salt. While they were on the bench during my oral arguments, for example, yeah. uh, I thought that Mayor Garland did a good job, and I thought that uh, uh, Brown Jackson did a good job. But, you know, that's one discreet appearance uh, in a in a setting that's completely different than the Supreme Court, which is, you know, I mean, it, sure. it was in terms of Gar- Mayor Garland, it was an appellate court setting with uh, Brown Jackson. It was um, well, can, uh, in a district court setting. But, Kent- but yeah, I was you know, say, Kentanji Brown Jackson, she was just cons- confirmed to her district court uh, bench exactly last year, right. wasn't it? Well, no, to the to the uh, Court of Appeals bench. She court had been appeal, a district sorry. court judge. Yeah, sorry, right. Court of Appeals. That so was she, just last year, so she just went through the ringer. 
right, and she doesn't have much appellate experience. You know, it's kind of unusual to have somebody who's only been uh, on the appellate courts for a year. You know, the D.C. Circuit is usually considered the feeder system for the Supreme Court, and generally you have a few more years on there to kind of, uh, you know, get a record. And so yeah, these days, the parties, either party who nominates a justice now likes to have a little bit more of a sparse record, so there's less for their opponents to attack. Nonetheless, I think it's important that you have some kind of a record and you have experience. I mean, you're going to the Supreme Court. This is a big, big, big deal. So I've not examined in detail her record the way I usually do when I'm about to testify. Her confirmation hearing is not for a while, um, but I do know a little bit about her record. Well, uh, and, and that's what I want to talk about. Now, you, you have talked at length in the last couple of weeks about this, um, Pete, about how what a disservice Joe Biden has essentially done to whomever this nominee was going to be, and as, as it is, it's Brown Jackson, because, uh, and, and why you would never have accepted a nomination under the circumstances in which he announced ahead of time he was going to choose a minority a female, uh, because it automatically puts an asterisk next to the name. This person was chosen as maybe the best and most qualified among black females, rather than saying, I'm going to choose the very best judicial nominee that I can find who will serve on the Supreme Court and, and interpret the Constitution correctly, and, and, and no matter who that is. And then if he picks Kentonji Brown-Jackson, it's no problem, because, hey, I determined her to be the best, and it just happens to be a black female. But by identifying her as the, or rather her characteristics, her chromosome and the color of her skin as the determining factors in this, she's never, I don't think, ever going to be viewed the same way that the other justices are, including other African Americans who have been on the court. Yeah, I, I think that's inescapably the case, and I think it's unfair to her. I think it's unfair to the judiciary. I think it's unfair to the United States of America generally. This is not the way we're supposed to be doing things. Um, you know, I think Biden said he wanted to have, you know, a court that looks like America. How about, how about well, you know, looks are unimportant. We've gotten beyond that. Uh, I know the Democrats want us to continue to be mired in looks because, frankly, that's all they've got to sell in terms of their agenda. But how about a justice who thinks like America, who, you know, uh, who has the experience of America? I'd rather have somebody who likes America. How about that? How about those are some of the qualifying factors, in addition to being one of the best jurists around? But the fact that you chose somebody explicitly on the basis of race and sex is an insult to whomever the candidate is. Now, Kentonji Brown uh, uh, Jackson apparently doesn't doesn't mind that. Uh, if you take a look at her record, and she's you know a very bright person, you can't not be and get to the level that she's had. Sure. But does he think that she represents somehow the experience of Black Americans? Something. I mean, I think that very fact kind of is a soft form of bigotry or racism that all blacks look alike or all blacks have the same experience. The fact of the matter is, Kentonji Brown-Jackson has had one of the most elitist experiences and privileged experiences ever. And that's not unusual for blacks anymore. You know, we <laughs> the Democrats need to wake up and understand we're in 2022 right now. Kentonji Brown-Jackson went to the same high school as Jeff Bezos. There's a lot of other superstars. Heck, about a third of their, her class went to Harvard, uh, her high school class. Uh, she lived a very privileged existence. Uh, so in terms of a quote-unquote black experience, another term that I think is so overused, how about Justice Clarence Thomas, who came from Pinpoint, Georgia? He truly had the stereotypic, according to the Democrats, black experience, but of course he's got the wrong ideas. Uh, th this whole thing is 
so bad. In 2022, we're at this point, we're always counting by race or sex or, or orientation. That's not American. Get somebody who thinks like America. Get somebody who's a great jurist. I don't think she's you know, she probably has the skills to be a great jurist, but I think Biden has done an enormous disservice, not just to her, but to the court and to the country. Yeah, um, I, I think that's well said. Um, having said all of that, she's probably his safest pick, right? In terms of confirmation, she's probably going to pull, from what I've read, maybe three or four Republicans, maybe even a few more to vote for her uh, for based on her qualifications, aside from everything we just discussed. I think it's likely that she gets confirmed. Uh, you know, we've got a split uh, uh, Supreme Court, but I think she gets confirmed. I think there's going to be a lot of opposition. I, uh, you know, have not yet done the kind of research I typically do, as I indicated, when I'm going to testify on something of, of this magnitude. But, you know, you can't help but know a little bit Do you expect to be called, Pete? Her. I'm sorry, Pete. You, you, uh, well, maybe. It's a possibility. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> We'll well, I would think that the longest-serving member of the Civil Rights Commission might be, you know, have a point of view here that's worth exploring and 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 getting you to be able to uh, uh, shed some light on this on this nomination, particularly because of the circumstances that Biden created for it. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's a possibility. We'll see what happens. I mean, typically, I'd be in contact or they get in contact with me about a month before the testimony, and I don't think it's going to happen anytime okay. in the near future. Breyer's still going to be serving to the end of this term, which is in June. I suspect we're going to be looking at a cycle that's similar to that of, of Kavanaugh's, where at, uh, you know, the late summer, early falls, when the uh, Judiciary Committee is going to conduct its hearings. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I'm I'm positioned. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of research on this, and so has my uh, assistant, so that we are prepared looking at, and there, there's a sparse number of cases. For example, with Justice um, uh, Roberts, I remember when I testified for him, I had 500 pages, a uh, 500-page memo that I submitted to the Judiciary Committee, because he had a huge record. Same was true for Alito. Same was true for... Um, uh, Sotomayor, well, not quite. It, it, that was less, but still a pretty substantial record. So we go into great detail, as does the Judiciary Committee. In uh, This is big stuff. This is big time. You want to make sure that there's not something in the record that indicates this person shouldn't be on the Supreme Court, either in terms of intellectual prowess or some other reasons. And some of the reasons that I may get into are, you know, she has, again, only been on the D.C. Circuit, or I'm sorry, yeah, the D.C. Circuit for a year. Uh, she's had, when she was at the district court level, I, an unusually large number of her opinions were overturned by the liberal court on, you know, that was over her. Uh, that's something that needs to be scrutinized a little bit more. You know, and she was on uh, the U.S. Sentencing Commission, too. And there, the Sentencing Commission, I don't know if she was, but a number of people on the U.S. Sentencing Commission, I know this because the Civil Rights Commission kind of fed uh, information and hearing uh, transcripts to the Sentencing Commission on a variety of matters, were advocating for the abolition of cash bail and, you know, the decriminalization of drugs and a lot of the other things that we currently see are in fashion that's leading to this huge spike in crime. I don't know if she holds those same opinions, but that's worth exploring. So there's a number of things that they need to look at. I, I, I'm relatively confident she probably has the intellectual chops to be on the Supreme Court based on everything I've seen and read. Uh, but it goes beyond that. And I think even if she gets confirmed, it requires a full hearing so the American people know what they're getting, more than what Biden thinks they're getting, a black female. Um, 
What about the alarming number of reversals of her decisions that, as you say, made not by conservative courts, uh, but by, by more liberal courts? Um, yeah. Is, uh, how much of a role will that play in the process? I think that that is an important role. They, she will be questioned about that because it does, again, don't know until I do a deep dive, but it suggests that perhaps she is not um, adhering to the rule of law as set forth by her circuit. Each district court judge usually bends over backwards to adhere to the precedent set by the appellate court in their district. And here it would be the D.C. Circuit. Uh, so, and, you know, at the time, the D.C. Circuit had a majority liberal bench. So you would think that it would be, or her opinions would be more consonant with their approach, but apparently she got overturned you know, um, more often than, than a number of other judges would, and that bears some scrutiny. And I want to take a deeper dive into why it is she was overturned, but some of these opinions, for example, I, I read one opinion that bothered me a little bit, uh, maybe more than a little bit, but um, actually I read more than one opinion. Uh, she tends to refer to illegal immigrants. Um, she doesn't use the term illegal alien. Right. Okay, which is the statutory term. She says undocumented, look, undocumented workers, right. which I think is the... Yeah, not, non-citizen. She uses the term non-citizen. Uh, and then on other occasions, you're right, she did use um, undocumented. And the question is, why would you not use the legal term, that which is set forth in the statute? That bears some ex- exploration. Is she inclined to bend the law or expand the law beyond which that which is contained in the statute and the Constitution. It's little things like that that gives you clues. don't want to make too much out of it, but when you have somebody with a sparse record, you glom onto almost any kernel of information that you can in order to divine what's going to happen in the future, because this person is going to be on the court for the next 20, 30, 40 years, and is going to be shaping our jurisprudence. She's going to be on a majority conservative court, so there may be a few people who think, well, she can't cause much damage there. She's still going to be in a three-justice minority. Right. And, uh, you know, so who cares? Well, you know, you'll be in a three-justice minority today, but in a few years you could be in a five- or six-justice majority. So these kinds of things, when it comes to the Supreme Court, I can't begin to describe the level of scrutiny that is applied to a nominee. Um, I know this, that I spend, oh gosh, I don't even know how many hours along with my assistant combing over through every decision, every, every opinion, not just opinion, but anything that she's written, any scholarly uh, material, anything that she, any offhanded statements she may have made in my little area of civil rights, which is a fairly substantial area. And um, as I said, I will sometimes have memos that I submit to Senate Judiciary Committees of several hundred pages. My testimony will last for five minutes, but that doesn't um, uh, capture all of the information that I typically submit to Senate Judiciary Committee. And, uh, you know, the senators don't pour over all that stuff in great detail, but their staff does, and then digest it and give it into more, you know, uh, understandable and digestible uh, uh, increments to their respective uh, uh, senators. But uh, it's a big deal when you are nominated, obviously, and a lot of attention is paid to 
what you've done in the past and what you're likely to do with cases that are imminent. One of the cases that are imminent well, is well, so SFSA. i got to cut you there, Pete, because I'm already short on time. We can't do that case. Let's hold off there, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the State of the Union tonight with one sure more thing. question on Kentonji Brown-Jackson. Uh, we'll continue with Kirsten now right after this. Okay, ten twenty-five. Uh, continuing with Peter Kirsch. Now, Pete, let me let me just get. I, I said one, but maybe one and a half quest, more questions on Kentaji Brown Jackson. Um, the first one is uh, more of a statement, and I'm sure you'll agree. I think it was Chuck Grassley that I heard doing an interview, who said the one thing I guarantee you is that the Republicans will not Kavanaugh Kentaji Brown Jackson. They're not going to look for things she said in her junior high years, or parties she went to in her high school years, or anything else to try to trash her character from years gone by. That's a Democrat thing. So you think the Republicans, or do you agree the Republicans will scrutinize her solely on her professional record and nothing personal? I think that's true. Yeah, and I think it was an abomination what happened, what the Democrats very often do, but it reached a crescendo with Kavanaugh. So I do hope for the sake of, look, if you focus on her record, that should be sufficient to determine whether or not she's suitable for the Supreme Court, either by temperament or intellect. Uh, but that's something Democrats do that should be abandoned. They won't. The next time you have a Republican nominee to the Supreme Court, they're going to get trashed like crazy, but we shouldn't be doing the same thing. And this is different, Bob. I'm usually not one of these guys who say we should unilaterally disarm like a lot of Republicans, you know, the kind of uh, beltway Republicans like to unilaterally disarm and try to play by gentleman rules when the Democrats go crazy. I think when it comes to politics, we should be punching back twice as hard. But when it comes to institutions like the Supreme Court, I do think it's a major problem if we replicate what Democrats would, uh, would do and that's despicable. Pete, the last thing I'll ask you about her is whether or not you think a recusal is going to be in order right out of the gate, because we we found out yes. last month uh, that uh, the Supreme Court is going to hear the case of the discrimination of Harvard, and I forget the other university that was tied to this. But as University of North Carolina. About, thank you very much. Uh, of course, about race-based admissions policies, she has she has kind of been in the middle of that already. Yeah, uh, she not only that, but she is on the board of trustees of Harvard. So, I mean, there's, there, that is a Now, that's, hold on, that's an element I didn't read, and I apologize. So that's that's much more than having, uh, you know, uh, spoken on this. She's on the board at Harvard. She can't possibly sit in. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't see how that happens. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that's a little bit of a problem. So, now, now, what uh, happens when that makes it a, you know, and, and we've seen it rarely, but it does happen when, when somebody has to be recused and, and you have an even number of members, you do set yourself up for a 4-4 potentially. Yeah, the the thing here is that um, I think I may have mentioned to you last week or so, a lot of people are laboring under the, I mean, and, and I don't mean to say that they're ignorant or anything, because I think most people believe that in a conflict of interest situation such as I've just described, a justice is compelled to recuse themselves. Supreme Court, and, and you know, we were talking about whether or not Title VII applies to the Supreme Court and all these other things. Uh, Supreme Court is a different type of duck. It stands alone in many respects, and that is that when it comes to recusal decisions, it is almost invariably up to the individual justice themselves. There is no rule or protocol or anything like that that compels, by re- requires a justice to recuse themselves. But by simple decorum and uh, judicial restraint, and I, I don't know, think of any other kind of adjective you want, it would be expected that she would recuse herself by having such a close interest to one of the parties in the case. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty amazing uh, aspect to all of this. And again, I'm not saying, suggesting it should stop her from getting confirmed if indeed she has the chops and the qualifications and they can they can weigh all of the things we talked about with reversals and so on and so forth. Um, you know, as well as just her her um, you know, judicial acumen. I mean, uh, she certainly has all of those things there, but it is very interesting that cases like that are going to be impacted by uh, the newest Supreme Court justice. Last thing, um, Pete, just the whole aspect on uh, you know the the first black female and so on and so forth. Where was that, and why is nobody except you and me and a few other conservative uh, media members talking about what Joe Biden did to Clarence Thomas? Uh, yeah. Talking, talk, I mean, seriously, where was his his desire to make sure that the Supreme Court looks more like America when a when a black male was up for uh, for the spot, and he literally made it his mission to stop Clarence Clarence Thomas. Suddenly, he's Mister. You know, we need a, we need a different representation of every walk of life in America on the court. Yeah, if it weren't for double standards, as we know, the media and Democrats wouldn't have any standards whatsoever. Bob, you may remember, I mentioned this to you and others, that uh, that event made me into a Republican. I'd always been conservative, but I was a nominal Democrat throughout. I'd always, you know, I'd never really cared about anything, didn't care about politics or anything. I was just trying to raise my family and live my life like most normal people do. But uh, that really galvanized me when I watched that hearing and saw the manner in which Clarence Thomas was treated by by Biden and others. Uh, Not just Biden, but uh, so many of the Democrats. But Biden was the chief in a lot of... He was the ringleader, right? Because wasn't he the chair chair of the judiciary? Yeah, yeah, and he was particularly ridiculous. Um, You know, he was more. He was just as stupid as he is now. And, I, and again, I hate to use terms like that, but it's the best descriptor of the individual. He was just as dumb as he is now, but he was a lot more aggressive and, uh, frankly, vicious. And he went after Clarence Thomas in the most despicable terms. And I turned to my wife and I said, um, "You know, we we live in an all." Democrat ward. So one of the other reasons I, w- I want to remain Democrat is I have nobody to vote for in a primary, you know, because <laughs> there are no Republicans. But nonetheless, I marched down and changed my registration right there. I, not only was I always a conservative, but I decided, okay, I'm going to become a Republican at that point. A lot of, I think move. a lot of people made that decision. Good move. Uh, we'll take a time out here for news. We'll come back and talk about State of the Union. What's Joe Biden going to say at 37% approval? What is he going to say tonight to tell everybody all is well? Uh, we'll talk to Kirsten now about that next. is always left. Tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 1037. We continue with Peter Kirsten for one more good-sized segment. We've got to get a lot of work done into this segment, Pete. Uh, I'm going to start with the State of the Union tonight, then we'll wrap with Russia and Ukraine. 37%. That's not a push-pull from Fox News or Rasmussen or anything else that might be criticized and condemned as conservative polling outlets trying to push the results. This is the Washington Post and ABC News. 37%. Other polls do have Biden at under 30%. Uh, I don't know if there has ever been a lower p- approval rating for a president giving his first State of the Union address. He did not give one, of course, last year. So this is his first, 13 months in. 
and he's going to have to find a way to try to declare uh, everything going well. Um, I want to give you this Ted Cruz tweet and then let you respond, Pete. Senator Cruz wrote, The State of the Union under President Biden can be summed up in one word, crisis. Inflation crisis, border crisis, Afghanistan crisis, COVID crisis, supply chain crisis, Ukraine crisis, and crime crisis. I'm looking for the lie there, and I can't find one, Peter Kersenow. What is Biden going to say tonight? Well, he doesn't have a whole lot of options, so he's going to have to go, I think, with victory over COVID. Uh, (laughs) I mean, what else is he going to say? I mean, Ted Cruz just listed the litany that we're all familiar with. Um, Since Donald Trump left office, everything has gotten worse except for the the sensitivities of Democrats, apparently, who were subjected to his tweets. But everything on an objective measure has gotten worse, and not just a little bit. I mean, drastically so. For me, the biggest debacle, of course, remains Afghanistan. I, I, it's just stunning what a, what a tragedy it was and what incompetence it displayed. But nonetheless, you just went through the entire litany with uh, Ted Cruz. I mean, immigration, what can he say about immigration? We have an immigration crisis right now, the worst immigration situation in the history of the United States of America. We have. Do you think he'll even touch on that, Pete? Do you think he'll bring it up? Because it's not a Q and A; it's just him. Right. I think he has to avoid that at all costs. They have got to do it because there's no way of putting lipstick on that pig whatsoever and saying it's a pig. I mean, it's more like a a combination of a pig and an alligator. This thing is dangerous from so many different perspectives. Then inflation, the highest inflation for it. What can he say about about prices? I mean, we feel it everywhere we go. And let alone gas prices standing alone. And those gas prices, in large measure, you can draw a straight line from the actions he took with respect to Keystone, and so many other of his policies, you know, fracking, shutting down exploration on federal lands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, draw a straight line from that to this this prodigious increase in gas prices. And everybody feels that, which also affects supply chain issues. We were energy independent just a year ago. Energy independent, we were a net exporter of energy. And think about this. Right after Ukraine was invaded by Russia, Several of the EU states, most notably Germany, Germany of all states, maybe the greenest of all the EU states, said they're doing a complete 180. No longer are they simply going to try to go to solar and all these supposedly environmentally friendly energy sources, but they said they're going full force, whole hog on nuclear, coal, natural gas, everything. They're going to employ a all-of-the-above strategy because they are particularly beholden, as we know, because of Nord Stream. I mean, one of the dumbest things Germans have ever done. Uh, well, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> let me just leave it at that. Uh, but nonetheless, they they were so dependent on Vladimir Putin, it was just the the height of stupidity and self destruction, national self destruction. But the United States, our president. He won't make any changes despite the fact that he's seeing what's happening right now. The sanctions that we're imposing are, you know, they're going to have an effect. They will on the oligarchs and on Putin, but they're not going to have the kind of strangling effect that they would if we were energy dependent along with our allies. There's not a whole lot this guy can say, so I think he's going to say... Uh, he's going to talk about Ukraine, obviously. That's, you, you can't avoid that. And he's going to talk about his leadership when it comes to imposing sanctions. And you may recall he was pretty much in the last week and a half leading from behind. Everybody else was moving 100 miles an hour to try to impose sanctions. 
And let's face it, I've got to give some of the Europeans credit. The Euro- European Union and other nations individually start putting pretty crippling sanctions on there and are calling for even tougher sanctions, and Biden kind of you know, went along with those things. And um, so, But again, Hillary Clinton is doing interviews, Pete. I don't know if you saw it. Hillary Clinton is doing interviews saying that Joe Biden has rallied the rest of Europe and rallied the rest yep. of the world in leading the fight against Vladimir Putin. So, so he is. He's going to try to take credit yep. for the pushback against Putin when, quite frankly, it's his weakness and his energy policies that led to this crisis in the first place. And, and the other big one, like you said, he's going to take a victory lap uh, on, on, on COVID and say, you know, look at this, look at this room filled with unmasked people because we did such a great job in getting everybody vaccinated and defeating COVID. And the only thing that defeated COVID, as you know and I do, is natural immunity, particularly when Omicron yep. came, kept, came just sweeping through the world. It gave everybody a bad cold for a day or two literally it was the weakest variant but it was the one that gave everybody the the uh the uh, uh antibodies uh that they needed to ward off covid in the future and that's why cases hospitalizations uh deaths and everything are down he's going to claim that they beat it he's going to claim that look what i did look what our policies did and pete that's going to make me just destroy my television Right, and he can do that because he knows that he's going to have the uncritical support of most of the media. Yeah, they'll make a couple statements here and there, but in the main, they're going to carry the water for him. So he can state just complete objective lies about those kinds of things, as he just stated. And he's going to declare victory over COVID. He's going to say that, you know, mask mandates are no longer uh, required and that, you know, they've turned the corner. Except for kids, by the way. Kids in school still have to wear them. Exactly. But, you know, it's his supporters, the teachers unions and others who impose these lockdowns, mandates, mask requirements on us, the ones that we hate so much and the ones that are still taking some time to uh, be lifted. But he's going to say, hey, my goodness, look at this. Uh, We've turned the corner because he sees a train coming down the tracks a few months from now called the midterms. And Democrats are apoplectic, and they've been begging him to do things that make it at least appear that they are taking measures to alleviate many of the restraints that people have been chafing uh, against and open up the economy. And uh, they're scared to death because, you know, you've seen the polls. We've all seen the polls. These are extraordinary polls. Now, it's a long time between now, you know, the usual standards. It's a long time between now and the election. But if all things remain equal and Biden's not going to get any smarter, he's not going to get any clever between now and the election, uh, and he's going to be beholden to this radical base of his, things look very bad for Democrats. There's no way of, of sugarcoating this. It looks worse than it did in 1994, based on the polls. It looks worse than it did in 2010, when the Democrats lost more than 50 seats. Right now, the generic poll, depending upon which one you look at, it's anywhere from seven to nine points in favor of Republicans. We've never seen anything like that. And as we've discussed before, usually, over the last 60, no, actually 70 years now that this polling has been conducted on the generic ballot poll, if Democrats don't have a four-point lead, they lose seats in the House. Okay, They have to have a four-point lead in the generic ballot. Uh, and when they have a four-point lead, they pretty much break even. And they almost always have some type of a four- to five-point lead, it seems. We've never seen it where Republicans have a nine-point lead in the generic ballot. I mean, that's extraordinary. I think in 94, I had these stats before. In 94, I think it was maybe a three- to four-point lead that the Republicans had. Same in 2010. Um, This is very bad. And back then... Um, they at least had presidents that were sentient beings. You know, you had uh, uh, Clinton and Obama. And now we've got their standard bearer is this regular reminder to the populace 
that's being led by somebody who doesn't know what the heck he's doing, and he is following the um, uh, instructions of the radical, you know, the squad in the base of his party. So this is not going to be fun for him, but he's going to try to, with the assistance of the media, who will willingly, you know, carry his water, say, just as you said, you know, we've turned the corner on COVID, we've beaten COVID, but ask yourself, what has he done? What has his administration done about COVID? Speaking of uh, the squad, too, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, after, excuse me, Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa, gives the Republican response to the State of the Union. Here comes Sharia Tlaib. I know her name is Rashida. I said what I said. Here comes Sharia Tlaib, going to give a response to the response, and she's going to call out Democrats. She wants to have a a, a national um, uh, opportunity to disparage Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema and anybody else that isn't going along with all of the squad's radical policies. So that ought to be fun. Uh, fun to oh, yeah. As well. And I think, you know, in, in normal circumstances, Bob, the Democrats would be just tearing their hair out about the prospect of their most radical member, or one of the most radical members, giving an address like that. Having said that, though, um, I think they have lost so much of the middle that they've decided, you know what, we have to keep our base motivated. So they're not making a big deal, at least publicly, of Rashida Tlaib giving an address like that. Right. Uh, and, and it'll be really interesting to see what the response is to that response to that response. I'm not trying to be silly, but that's what's going on here. So, okay, Pete, um, l- let me just ask you about this. There's a couple of <clears throat> important points here that I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, with respect to Russia, and one is the statement made as the invasion began by Vladimir Putin, quote, to anyone who would consider interfering from the outside, if you do, you will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. All relevant decisions have been taken. I hope you hear me, end quote. Now, that was last week at the onset of the invasion. Now, five days in, we're hearing that he has put his nuclear forces or nuclear uh, I don't remember what the term was, on high alert. Now we hear that he is exceedingly frustrated with the lack of progress in the invasion. They haven't taken any of the major cities of Ukraine yet, and the resistance is much, much stronger than they thought it would be. And reporters are literally asking Joe Biden, as he's walking away in his delusion and, and, and fog, uh, should we be concerned about a nuclear attack? And he just said flat out, No. Pete, put all of those pieces of the puzzle together and tell me what picture you get. Starting with, again, you will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. That would indicate something that has never been done before, and that would be a nuclear attack. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it, well, I think it's it's frightening. Now, look, we've heard bluster before when we've had uh, military confrontations with other powers, most notably Saddam Hussein and others. You know, they, they, they are over there beating their chests and talking about all kinds of great cataclysms that are going to be visited upon their opponent if you do these. And I think there's some of that with respect to Putin. Putin is posturing in large, mar- in large measure. The problem, however, is we can't be certain of it. And when you can't be certain of something that a nuclear power is saying, you should take it with great seriousness and make whatever plans you can related to that and comport yourself in a manner that says he might do what he says he's going to do. You, you just never know. I don't think he would. But again, I don't know if he's, you know, you know we've probably got uh, intelligence that tells us whether or not he followed through on actually putting his nuclear forces on high alert. But, you know, that could all also be cosmetic. But having said that, one small miscalculation is 
catastrophic. Think back to 1982. We were seven seconds away from having a full-blown nuclear exchange because somebody miscalculated. Somebody thought a rocket had been launched. It was very close. There are multiple redundancies when it comes to these kinds of things, but in uh, the fog of war, let me back up. Um, One, if I might be so bold as to give a little bit of of advice to some of your listeners, although I could use a ton of advice, is that whenever you have situations involving Russia and compounding that with it being in the midst of a war, expect there to be propaganda flying all over the place, not just from the Russians, but from the Ukrainians and even from, you know, the EU and the United States. I keep hearing the same things over and over again. It seems like somebody's singing from the same hymnal, and it all seems to emerge at the same time. One of those was, you know, Putin's unhinged. It was remarkable. One day, almost everybody who was a commentator on the various channels was saying, he's unhinged, you know, we think there's a problem with him. That might be true, but I'm going to take it with a grain of salt until I see complete, you know, I mean, just uh, concrete evidence of that. He was a former KGB colonel. This is the kind of stuff they do, hinged or unhinged anyway. And I fully expect it's going to be just a drastic outcome in Ukraine. There's going to be a lot of deaths. Go ahead, Bob. Good. Finish that thought. I was going to dovetail right off it, but go ahead. Yeah, I just think it's it's not going to end well. I'm I'm hoping that uh, you know Ukraine is preserved. I hope that uh, it'd be nice if the Russians went back to their uh, territory with their tail between their legs. See, but, but you know, these kind of happy outcomes don't happen in that region. Now I am going to interrupt because that was going to be my question, Pete. When I said last question was going to be this: which is better for the rest of the world, a Russian victory or a Russian defeat? Because I said said this at the top of my show narcissistic former KGB colonels, uh, murderers, dictators, strongmen, authoritarians like this don't handle defeat well. I feel right, like they if don't. they're driven back to Russia, if they're driven back by the Ukrainian forces and the and with the support, you know, at least by providing uh, weaponry and artillery and so on and so forth from the rest of the world, it's humiliating to him. He doesn't suffer that well. I figure, or I feel, or fear rather, uh, Pete, that a defeated Vladimir Putin is more dangerous than a successful one. Bob, that's that's a very good point, and that's very plausible. Remember some of the great military strategists of all time. You know, everyone likes to quote uh, Sun Tzu, at least they think they're quoting him, or <laughs> Napoleon, and they both said something very similar. He said, always give your adversary a golden bridge with which to retreat. In other words, you have to give them an out, especially if they've got nuclear weapons. Face-saving, as you know, childish as it seems, is a real thing, especially when you're talking about conflicts of this nature. There has to be a way we can provide Vladimir Putin a way, at least cosmetically, to save face. And uh, I don't see any, any path to do so right now being offered by either the United States or the EU. Now, he must be defeated, or that is, sent back, but by the same token... If we don't provide him with that face-saving device, then uh, who knows what will happen later. Um, this is serious stuff. This is not invasion of Iraq. This is not you know some other small regional power. This is a superpower with more nuclear weapons than we have. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it, Pete. And again, the other part of this, which we don't have time to talk about right now, is if Russia is successful, 
and we don't do the right things, then how quickly does China make their move right. to say now? I'm is just the surprised, time. Bob, that so, they didn't do it simultaneously. I really am. Yeah, I am too. I am too. Although, uh, give Xi a little bit, a little bit of credit here. You know, let somebody else be the guinea pig. See what the reaction mm-hmm. of the rest is going to be. See what the reaction of the rest of the world is going to be before we make our move. Uh, because you know, obviously, it gives them a better chance to, uh, to you know, to uh, create or or uh, produce their own countermeasure plan. Peter Kersenow, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for the great knowledge. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bob. All right. That's Kersenow on AM 1420 The Answer. We'll take a time out, our final one, and come right back on AM 1420 The Answer. Well, that's going to wrap it pretty much. Excuse me. You know, normally I tell you uh, during one of these uh, situations where we're going to have a big Democrat um, celebratory festival like tonight's uh, State of the Union, normally I tell you, don't worry about it. I'll watch it so you don't have to. Just tune in tomorrow morning and I'll tell you what happened. You don't need to know all of the gory details. I'll give you what you do need to know. That's just a service that I like to provide, even though it's just as painful for me to watch as you. Tonight won't be celebratory, though, although they're going to try to make it so. Tonight he's going to try to cover himself and CYA, cover his own A, uh, with all of the crises surrounding the world. I'm not really sure I can do this one. What do you say we do a little role reversal here? How about you watch the State of the Union tonight? I watch uh, another episode of Yellowstone. Okay? You report to me what happened. I've been doing it to you for years, or for you for years. You watch the State of the Union with Joe Brandon tonight, and then tell me what I need to know. Give me the most important core takeaways tomorrow morning starting at 9.10. How about that? Let's roll reverse here. I'm counting on you now. Let me know what happens. I'll be watching John Dutton and the guys on Yellowstone. Thanks, everybody, for a great show today. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.